podcast is a proud member of the CypherCast Network. Discover more at CypherCast.net. And follow us on Twitter at CypherCast.net. Welcome to Incantations, an Invisible Sun podcast. I'm Scott. And I'm Dave. And we'll be your guides along the path of suns. Today we sing, My Path Takes Me Strange Places, wherein we talk about the creatures you may encounter under the blue sun. Join us on the path of suns, and we may uncover a secret or two. When we cast My Path Takes Me Strange Places, we discuss the setting of Invisible Sun. We're continuing our walk under the blue sun, and we're going to talk about the creatures that you're going to find there. So we've been pairing these discussions up. We've been doing locations and creatures. So here we go. We're going to talk about creatures under the blue sun. Uh, So quick summary, once again, the blue sun represents dream, passivity, uh, things that go unnoticed. Uh, and the uncertain future and sleep, uh, it's connected to the noosphere. Uh, and the creatures that you find here, uh, we tend to try to find, you know, what they reflect, uh, what they represent that the sun represents and, uh, you know, kind of talk about them and say what we like about them. Uh, and last time, if you listen to our locations talk, you, you may have noticed that we didn't talk about the, what was it, the changing fields? The locust fields? The locust fields? Yeah, we didn't talk about it, but as I was reading through the the uh, creatures, I said, oh, the changing swarm is fun. I want to talk about that one. So um, this is the aspect of the locust fields that I, that I think is very interesting, uh, whereas the locust fields themselves are kind of a, an amorphous and hard to describe and uh, summarize location. So the changing swarm, uh, they're neat. It's, you know, a swarm of locusts, but they each have human faces and they chant the same statement over and over again. And that makes what they are saying come true. Uh, so they, they change the truth of the world that they are in. And uh, it can lead to some uh, relatively minor changes or you can have them chanting things that become very significant. Uh, and I did use this changing swarm in one of my sessions and I just had the creatures chanting things that made it very inconvenient for the characters to traverse through, uh, the blue as they were trying to make their way to the Drunk Menagerie. Uh, and these things are kind of fun. I'm not sure exactly, um, well, I think they best represent, you know, the dreamlike nature of blue because it changed like they just change reality. And it is something that, you know, tends to happen when you're dreaming, like your dreams just kind of change and it's out of your control. And this is a force that actually directs it in some way. It is almost a creature that represents the notion of, of was it active dreaming? Directed dreaming? Yeah. Uh, yeah. I think active dreaming is the the best description for it. Do you think there's a way to use these, uh, the swarm, uh, for the interests of the party? Could they somehow persuade the swarm to chant something in particular? 
Well, uh, how intelligent do you think the swarm might be? Or does it matter? Um, I, I would imagine that resourceful Vizlay, uh, who have access to certain types of spells, or perhaps a weaver, might be able to direct the swarm to do what they want them to. It could also be something that some antagonist is trying to, uh, to, to do, to set up a change to the world that they're trying to see. Mm-hmm. But of course, the duration of the chant limits the uh, the degree to which a change can be made in reality. So it might take a lot of swarms over a long period of time to achieve a major change in reality. But that sounds like a long-term goal, almost like a long-term casting yeah. um, for uh, either a protagonist or an antagonist. Now, when we've been talking about these creatures, I always think about these creatures as existing under the sun that they're you know listed for. Mm-hmm. Um, is there any sort of, like... Can creatures move from sun to sun? It does mention in teratology that creatures listed under a particular sun might be encountered other places, mm-hmm. but that they're most likely to be encountered under the sun that they are listed under. Okay. Yeah, because I've I've had creatures show up under other suns, and I haven't really had to justify it, because, like, what do your players know? It's a creature. It's weird. Um <laughs> But like, you know, with the changing swarm, they're changing reality. And under blue, that doesn't seem like a huge shift. But if it were to be perhaps in indigo, that might be way more significant because indigo is truth. Indigo is like the closest representation to reality as you're going to get in this setting. Or, or they could be part of a, re- a reagent or casting under the silver sun to create something or the gold sun to change or transform something. Mm hmm. So I, I like this. I like the changing swarm. They're a lot of fun. I, I like them as a creature. I just the location sort of baffled me, so I skipped it. Yeah, and I didn't quite read through the whole thing of the location, so I, I, I have nothing to add to it. But this is a fun element to use uh, in for a variety of purposes in a campaign. Mm-hmm. So there's a bunch of other uh, creatures here, and the other thing I noticed about these creatures is a lot of them are. Uh, human shaped uh a lot of them have human faces um and i guess that might reflect the nature of blue that it's a creation of mostly human uh i guess humans uh visually are humans for the most part Uh, but it kind of reflects you know the the creatures that are dreaming it up that makes sense. There's also, I noticed in this section, more creatures that have no physical form or a completely amorphous physical form, like a wind or a bad idea. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Goes to both extremes. Yes. Um, the next one that I do want to touch on has a, a non-human form and a physical form. So uh, neither of those things uh, that we just talked about. But uh, the Jalor or the Jailer. Hmm. I like Jalor. Jalor. So the Jalor is a beast with uh, three nub-like heads. Uh, and its its heads are on the end of these long waving necks. It's got silver thread running through its uh, translucent body. Uh, so these things are found in the deeps of sleep. Uh, do you know off the top of your head what the deeps of sleep are? It was just a particular area of the blue that is supposed to be less accessible and kind of crazier and uh, have sort of the, the, the maybe the deeper truths hidden in dreams. 
reflective of deep meditative sleep as opposed to passing or fleeting dreams. So the the deep territory of blue. Do yeah. you, I guess a follow-up question, do you know what the abstraction is connected to in blue? Was it the deeps of sleep or is it something else? I thought it might be the deeps of sleep, but I'm not positive. Yeah, I thought it might be. Uh, but we're not going to look it up right now. Sorry, people. Um, anyway, the, the Jalors tend to be glimpsed in the deeps of sleep or sometimes when you're dreaming and discovering new rooms and passages in a location that you're familiar with. Um, so these are, uh, creatures. These are like, I guess I summed them up as like sneaky little nightmare creatures. They live in like the hazy misremembered recesses of spaces that you're familiar with they they like to hide in dreams and um these things are disgusting fearful and hungry so what would they be doing out there in the the spaces that you can't quite remember when you wake up or is do they represent the fear of unfamiliar areas are they creating these areas, which is why they're they're there with their, when new areas uh, are included in your dreams? I'm, I'm not entirely sure. And I don't know if there is a single answer. Well, uh, when they bite people, they can put you into a dream-filled coma. Uh, and they like to escape back into the deeps of sleep. So uh, perhaps they're just, a, they're just a representation of sleep and slumber. And, you know, it's it's just that hazy memory of what things were like when you were sleeping. All right. So they may be uh, for whatever reason, they're in the kind of shallow areas of the blue. Um, but if in these new areas, uh, exploring, maybe looking for something, if you, uh, accidentally come across them though, uh, they don't want to be caught out in the blue. Uh, maybe they were even stranded in the, in the shallows of the blue in this new area. So what they want to do is put you to sleep so they can use you to, as a, uh, portal to jump into the deeps of sleep. So they would put you mm -hmm. to sleep, in fact, giving you connection to the deeps of sleep so that they can escape. That might actually be useful for players if they want to get to the deeps of sleep. They could end up being a, a volunteering to be a victim of a Jalor and then follow the Jalor into the deeps of sleep in their own dreams. Yeah, if or perhaps into some place in particular in the deeps of sleep that are mm -hmm. even harder to get to. Maybe. Um, so another thing that uh, likes to hide in the minds of other people would be the uh, the hmm, Noema. So this that is sounds good to me. yeah, this is an interesting one. Uh, I like this one a lot. This one represents uh, the mind that blue uh, covers, and the Noema doesn't really have a form. It switches bodies with victims. And so it lives in its victim's minds and it actually kills off the mind of the victim that it hops into. And this is, uh, this feels like a very standard sort of trope of the body snatcher or the, uh, mm -hmm. uh you know, it's something that show, pops up in all sorts of stories, but, um, like this thing hops into different people's minds and kills them. Uh, so, uh, I don't know. Where am I going with this one? <laughs> well, I think it's, it's a great example of how creatures in teratology tend to be story-driven. The, the central core of every creature is a different type of idea represented in an encounter. Mm -hmm. It's not just a write-up for this, this creature does something interesting in combat. It might 
also do that, but it really has a place in a story. So these, I think, have more legs than a lot of creatures in other sorts of creature books. So here you have what could be an antagonist over a period of time, especially in an, an investigative style game yes. where you find all these kind of dried up bodies and you're trying to figure out what, what's going on, um, especially if they're, it, it, you know, so because they're, they're this person, this, this Noema is jumping from body to body and then leaving the one behind the one that it leaves behind decays. Um, so you have, I don't know how you'd find this out necessarily, but it's Vizlay. They can do amazing things. Yes, they can. You'd find a series of desiccated bodies that don't have their own minds in them. I guess what happened. Um, so if it kill, it kills the mind of the host. Uh, would it be safe to assume that that mind generally moves on to the pale? Would that person still exist under pale? Well, it might be complicated because that person is now in someone else's body. Because their body is off with the Noema now. Yes. So you have a series of not only people who are died and burned out, but they are unfamiliar with their own bodies. You might be able to consult them because maybe they do pass on to the pale still because it is just their body that died. So the but Noema's it, previous body swiftly dies, killing the mind of the newly switched. To, oh, yeah. Okay. So it does switch the mind. So... Noema's in person A, switches to person B, person B's mind gets put into person A's body. And, and that then body dies. Person A's body dies, which kills person B's mind. Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay. That oh man, that that's um that would be a tricky investigative puzzle to figure out. And it might lead to the Futurama theorem. Uh, there was an episode of Futurama that has an actual mathematical proof in it that was novel and published in a mathematical journal. Really? About body switching. <laughs> and the minimum number of steps it would take to switch back everyone's bodies under a certain series of body switching rules. Oh, I kind of re- remember that episode. <laughs> it's one of the newer episodes um, uh, in the last or the second to last season. Uh, so the next one I want to talk about is the Semper Vivin, and I only want to talk about it because it looks really stupid. <laughs> yes. And, um, and not only does it look stupid, it has a picture. Like, they, like this is so stupid, we need an illustration. Yeah, like, it's, and when I say stupid, it's great. It's stupid in a really good way. Uh, so this is on page 55 of the Teratology. It's the, it's the, like, insect-looking creature that has a face, and it's, Ears are wings, and it's got glasses and a giant nose and a dumb mustache. Ah, it's good. <laughs> uh, but these it, are tiny flying creatures uh, described as having ornate mustaches. Uh, and they flutter around at the edges of your vision. And they're here to tell you that there's something interesting or important that um, that you need to know about. But creatures just can't notice them. So here you go. This is the unnoticed aspect of blue. Uh, and these are these are fun, and you know this feels like something that you as a GM could introduce if your characters are like kind of trying to figure out like what are we what are we trying to do? Like we found this desiccated body, and the mind doesn't line up with what the body is. Like I don't get it. I'm not sure what's happening. As a GM, <laughs> you could use the Semper Vivin to say, oh, there's something like on your periphery that you can't quite see, like you can't focus on it. Oh, okay. Now as a character, maybe I'm going to try and uh, track that down. And you would be able to inject like 
hints and clues to give to your players through these little creatures to say like, hey, here, here's a little bit of extra help. It seems like you guys are struggling uh, and I'm not quite communicating what the important bits are here. So here's a Semper Vivan to help you along the, the trail. It reminds me of the silence from Doctor Who that as you see them, but once you look away, you instantly forget what they looked like. <laughs> right. So maybe if you're directly speaking to a Semper Vivan, you can perceive them. Uh, but as soon as you aren't directly speaking to them, or maybe if they choose not to speak directly to you, you just can't notice them. So they blip in and out of existence from your, from a subjective perspective mm -hmm. uh, because of that strong uh, uh, magic of their being unnoticeable. Yeah, these, these things are neat. I like them. Depending on your group, uh, when someone finally does get a good look at them and you show them the picture from the book, they will ever th they'll either think it is an awesome uh, and hilarious image or a grave disappointment, <laughs> <laughs> depending on, on what type of group you have. Uh, it, it reminds me of a realistic rendition by a good artist of a child's sort of imaginative creature that they put together, which is really perfect for the blue. It's great for that sort of setting. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I like those things a lot. Um, portions are all wrong in a good way. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's in a very good way. It's kind way. of fun. It's got uh, gross appendages. It's got stupid ears. Makes no sense at all. And hey, that's what we're here for. Yeah, I love it. Um, last one I want to talk about is the Terebrin. It, uh, this creature is really great. I love this one so much. Um, it's a camel-like creature with uh, one hind leg and one foreleg. Uh, it's head. Once again, we have a human head here, um, except it's eyeless and it wanders around and it's always screaming in anguish and it's looking for something to, um, make it feel better. It's looking for something to soothe its soul and it's always failing to do so. Um, and that last part, I, I like it so much, but, um, yeah, it just uh, is wandering around and lashing out at things, trying to make itself feel better. So uh, one of its abilities is transfer trauma. So it reaches out and it touches somebody and it inflicts too anguish on them, but it heals itself. And as I was reading through this, um, like it's not an antagonistic creature. It's just miserable and it's trying to make itself feel better. And... Uh, my note is, oh, this is like a perfect encapsulation of being depressed. <laughs> like you're, you're in so much pain and you're trying to make yourself feel better and you don't know how and you end up just hurting everybody. It's great. I love it. And to anguish, that's, that's a beefy attack. Oh yeah. Let me tell you. <laughs> that's not two injuries. That's two anguish. Yeah. This will kill you in two, in two hits. Yep. Yeah. So don't uh, go, don't go hug the Terebrin. No, no, don't hug the Terebrin. But maybe you should hug the Terebrin because it just feels terrible. Take precautions before hugging Terebrin. <laughs> Ask your doctor if you should be hugging the Terebrin. So this thing, uh, to me, it represents the mind aspect of blue once again. It's this thing that is, you know, racked with pain and doesn't know how to get better. Right. It is again a compartmentalized representation of an active vocal sort of, of depression. Yeah. Uh, that it is not resolvable in the near future. It, it or at least it won't resolve itself. Uh, and yeah, so it's 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 a fun representation in that way. I guess not fun for the Terebrin, no, uh, but something to play with. 
and then you engage questions of how do you deal with someone who is not responsible uh, for the the effects they're having on others, really. Um, they don't know what they're doing. They are just trying to protect themselves. They're trying to comfort themselves. But in doing so, they're causing anguish to those around them. How <laughs> do you deal with that? Um, because hacking it to pieces is not the most sensitive response. Yeah, it doesn't, it's another... it doesn't help it, but it is one solution. <laughs> well, yeah, and th- th- but that is indicative of how this game tries to create situations and encounters where you need to engage with the theme represented in the creature or in the location or whatever, whatever it might be. So uh, the more compelling uh, resolution, I don't even know what it would be necessarily, it might depend on the party, is, is try, to figure, try to engage with the problem. This is some, a creature so miserable it's hurting the people around it. What, what do you do? Uh, it is so miserable that it is almost insensate. It is always screaming. Mm-hmm. And it's uh, it's it, it cannot help itself. And in fact, it's making it hard to help it. How can you help this thing that will not help you help it uh, or even allow you to help it? Uh, and so the, it, it does engage this very important question about how our minds deal with pain and how that leads to maladaptive behaviors. Uh, I do like its other ability, which is uh, recall misery. So up to three nearby creatures recall something horrible. Uh, then there's some mechanical stuff associated with it that doesn't matter. But um, when I see stuff like this, it, it always feels like a, a, a spot in the game where you can say, hey, you recall something horrible. What is it? Like, what does your character remember that is awful? And I would do something similar with the transfer trauma attack. Mm-hmm. Whereas the book just says it causes two anguish. I might say you have now experienced the anguish of the Terebrin. <laughs> what is that like? Oh, I need a Terebrin in my game. <laughs> I, I have a lot of them around me in life. So uh, it, it's a con- it's a continuing challenge. Oh, yeah. I'm sure I have been a Terebrin in my life. Oh, I'm still a Terebrin. <laughs> so uh, anything we want to... Uh, you know, anything we need to do to wrap this up? Anything else we should talk about? No, there's one other creature I want to mention very briefly. Yes, uh, please. That, again, uh, I think illustrates how these creatures are not just bags of hit points with uh, with claw attacks. Uh, each one is supposed to provide a very different encounter than all of the other creatures. And often their attacks then sort of break the rules of the game. Mm-hmm. And when you have Visley as powerful as they are freely from the beginning, but certainly after just a few tiers, they're becoming ridiculously powerful. You have to present them with situations that they have to think their way around and they cannot simply fireball their way out of. And one of those is the tribulation of time. And I don't want to go into a great deal of time or a great deal of uh, detail on this, uh, but their attack can simply cause a nearby being to lose their next action. Mm-hmm. or to take an immediate extra action. They can force you to act or they can force you not to act. And that is verboten in most game systems. <laughs> At least modern that, design, yes. In, in, in modern design, right. Uh, but in this game, it works well to show how the fundamental reality of the actuality is itself malleable to both the Vizlay and the creatures they encounter. And so all the things we take for granted uh, are in, in, in play. 
when you are out in the actuality, especially in places like the blue, uh, and these you know, and, and creatures might play with fundamental notions of time or notions of uh, of you know anguish uh, and the like. And I think it's interesting that it shows how you can go, you can be pretty wild in your creature design and the effects the creatures can have on the world around them. It also could be useful because nearby corporeal creatures can be aged backwards one uh, to six years. <laughs> so um, this might be the solution to a problem if they got aged by something else. Yeah. Cool stuff. Yeah. Uh, fun, crazy things in the blue as one might expect. This ends our walk. Maybe you discovered something today. Maybe you need to look closer. The music was titled Beyond from Wes Otis and Plate Mail Games. It is available from DriveThruRPG. Invisible Sun is the intellectual property of Monty Cook Games. You can find a link to their website in the show notes. You can find our blog at incantationspodcast.blogspot.com or email us at incantationspodcast at gmail.com. You can find me at Agonseer, that's at A-G-O-N-S-E-E-R, on Twitter. And you can find me at Tex underscore Red on Twitter. So please leave us a rating and a review on iTunes uh, or whichever uh, podcast app you are using. Uh, it really helps us out. Uh, we also like seeing ratings and reviews, whether they're good or bad. Uh, or else just tell a friend about the show. That's another great way to get the word out and ha help people find us. <laughs>